This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're tackling spine number 17 in the Criterion Collection, Salo, or 120 Days of Sodom, directed by Pier Paolo Pasolini from 1975. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing okay. I saw this crazy thing today. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, or you may have, but since the show has started, you may have forgotten about it. But I was driving, and a car was turning this corner around me, and it was just like this unmarked car. It was all gray, like painted gray, not like factory gray. It was like a Pontiac Vibe or something, and it had like a taxi thing up on the top. And then on the side, in little brackets, it just said creep. And I was like, whoa. Oh. I was like, what the hell? And I was like, maybe they're fans of the show. And on the back, it said, creep it real. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, we are global phenomena. But uh, then I re- I saw underneath it said, uh, creep creep cab. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's like, not Uber, because I don't think Uber's popular no. here, because there's not enough. Our population is like 100,000 people, and like 80% is uh, over the age of 70. So uber's not really big here so i think it's maybe like proto uber where it's one lady who is just cabbing herself and she calls it the creep cab i don't know no, do she, you know about this i do uh i actually oh. i know the I, I know of the person who uh drives it yeah no uh, she is Are a, they cab. a fan of the show uh no i don't think so not yet oh. um but yeah they uh they are cab drivers they're like it's a okay. one person uh business because like after like a few years ago the city like had like this huge problem with like not enough cabs and like they were not mm-hmm. licensing out enough people to do it and so they had to start like opening it up to like individuals could just start running their own businesses and right. yeah uh she decided to uh open up her creepy cab uh company where she's is the it, only driver it's called creepy cab i think so well they have the same tagline as uh i've been trying to do here so do we have to like start litigation or uh well, is she well, gonna be we're, cool we're, we're gonna go after her hard okay um yeah no uh actually she's also one of those people who uh only goes out with bare feet oh okay yeah you you know uh when i went to school at csu in colorado uh my roommate uh sometimes went to class without uh shoes on oh so and he's doing pretty good now i guess so Okay. Yeah, I yep. find uh, I find that whole thing pretty disgusting. Um, I guess you could say one of my like uh, things I don't like in this world are people's bare feet, uh, especially mm-hmm. in like mostly in like public. Uh, I think it's really unsanitary and it makes me kind of cringe because I just think about things that are on the ground. Um, it, yeah, I touching I'm, your skin. Well, actually, uh, one of the more traumatic uh, incidents I think like that actually I realized I didn't like people's bare feet was uh when i went to see the dark knight in theater um, oh, no. I, I was watching the movie and there was these like i don't teenage girls sitting the row behind us and like at some point they just like the girl just had her feet up on my seat mm-hmm. and like i could like turn my head just a little bit and i could just see like in my peripheral vision like just little toes like kind of hooking the edge of my mm-hmm. seat and i was just like this is so disgusting like oh well, maybe if it was like a horror movie where there was creepy things happening, but not for The Dark Knight. I hold that that movie is very special to me. If that happened, I would have lost it. I probably would have gotten uh, charged with a lot of um, assault <laughs> on, on a said woman. 
Yeah. So uh, that's too bad, man. Yeah, I, I remember that happening. I was just like, Jesus, well, like, what's wrong now, with you animals? Yeah. Now I understand. Feet? Yeah. Now I understand your disdain for whenever I wear flip flops and uh, shorts. Yeah. You just you're a Quaker. You don't want that skin out there. Well, I'm walking around in my uh, world. my steel toe boots, and uh, you know, yeah. I just like I, I, I'm afraid for your feet when I accidentally step on them and grind them, and it's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. There was like the one day uh, I was out walking around the park and she was out running barefoot woman. And it's just like, uh-huh. it, was, it was like raining and yeah. just like her feet were like covered in like dirt and like bits of grass. And was, so she's true to the name, I guess she is. Yeah. She, I think she outdoes us uh, in the creep department. I'm uh, well, sorry to admit. We, we do equally creepy things, just not like that. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, how are you doing? Uh, fine, you know, just getting, getting through the week and, uh, sorry, can you repeat that? Fudge, yeah. Uh, just getting through the week yeah. and, uh, here we are. Um, you know, uh, last night I was going to, uh, imbibe in another horror film and I realized I'm like, oh, you know what? We're recording tomorrow and I haven't started any notes for this movie or for this episode. So I was up for mm-hmm. a while getting that done. And then I spent a good part of my work day today uh, working further on this stuff. So here we are. We'll see how uh, mm-hmm. that work pays off this time. We're, we're yeah. going, we're going at a pretty good clip actually. Um, most of like the, like, uh, kind of pre-production stuff I'd done for our episodes. Uh, we burnt through it all. So like, we're like pretty well huh. caught right up. So I have to, uh, spend some time here in the next couple of days, uh, working ahead mm-hmm. once again, cause we just ripped through it all. Well, it's because of your unrelenting schedule. That yeah, we have to keep. yeah, that's true. I have no yeah. one to blame but myself. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's certainly not me saying that we're doing two episodes a week. Well, I don't I, I don't know if we ever actually said that. It just kind of turned out that way, and we're just like, hey, let's nail it. Because there was the one week uh, when we recorded a bunch of our first few episodes, and it was because mm-hmm. uh, Andrea was out of town, and we're like, hey, let's just do it. Yeah. Let's try out get our bugs figured out because we were just new to this, had gotten the mm-hmm. mics, and we recorded a whole bunch of episodes, and we kind of got we've been sticking to that rhythm of like two a week. Um, that might mm-hmm. change in the next while, um, depending on how I'm feeling. I'm sure you wouldn't mind uh, a little bit of a break or a little. What going a uh, going uh, a one a day? Yeah, one 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 a day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I would. Uh, I'll absolutely love that, especially in the next two months when I'm uh, preparing to defend my thesis and stuff like that. I will yeah. have uh, less free time for the the podcast. Yeah, but I'll, I'll always be able to do one. Yep, that's yeah. I think that'll be fair. I think people will probably be okay with that too. They're going to have to be because they have no choice. You're going to have to Oliver yeah. and uh, Simon or no uh, Joshua. Yeah, the our, only two people who ever emailed our our known listeners and yeah, uh, friends of the show. Yeah. Uh, well, in case you uh, you two and uh, other unknown people, unknown creeps, uh, somehow missed, uh, we did our first ghoul school special a few days ago where we mm-hmm. talked all about the horror antics we'd got up to so far this October. And I think until the end of the month, we're going to keep that stuff separate from the main Criterion shows like this episode, uh, unless we sure. wind up watching something non-horror related somehow, because um, mm-hmm. we know there's so much free time floating around, just grab, yeah. we can just grab it and fill it with whatever. But yeah, no, it's going to be pretty horror heavy, so we figured we're just going to keep that into those ghoul 
cool specials and uh yeah we'll be posting mm-hmm. those i guess uh the end of the weekend and try to keep up on that so yeah um uh, let's just forge on ahead and uh is there any news you'd like to address uh, and share with our listeners uh yeah i got a few things i got a few little t- uh, ooh, that's not the word i meant to say I got a few tits of news. Um, whatever, maybe it'll catch on. As we are, as we, I hope said, it does. Global phenomena. Maybe people in New Zealand and uh, South Africa will be, start saying the the tit of the news. Yeah, a few tits of news here for you, folks. I think I think um, we've got something there. I think so too. I'm going to keep this going. Okay, okay. I, I'm going to roll with it. Uh, so I got some tits of news here for you. Yo, uh, I got one little bit of old news and then uh, a few things that happened just like an hour ago so i'll hit you with it right now hot damn but i forgot this one last week uh did you hear that because disney is going to take over the world and make live action movies of all their treasured uh animated films that uh your buddy director of iron man 2 john favaro is going to make a live action lion king movie uh yeah i guess i saw something about it it didn't really register too much um well let, let me tell you then uh, I haven't seen his Jungle Book movie. I heard it was fine. Yeah. Or I heard it was good. And uh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure I'll probably enjoy it. Um, I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Uh, but I actually think the Lion King animated movie is really good. Like a really good film. Uh, I'll go to bat for that movie any day of the week. And I understand why Disney wants to re- redo all these or make live action adaptations of all their stuff. Like Jungle Book. They're doing a... Beauty and the Beast right now with Hermione. Uh, I think there there's talk they're gonna do a Mulan um, for that China market. You know, makes sense. But um, mm-hmm. out of all that stuff you could do, like I I feel like Lion King should be the very bottom of that list. Like I don't want to see an entire CGI movie of lions without Jeremy Irons as Scar and without Jonathan Taylor Thomas as Simba. Maybe they're gonna do it like Roar. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be odd. If if John Favreau had the balls, he would go down at the yeah. African reserve for uh, lions and just yeah. just set up cameras and just let Shangri-La. stuff happen. Shangri-La. Yeah, go to that reserve. At the, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, I don't I, know. Oh. I, I don't really care. It's just like, it's like, oh, man, I wish they would just do something else because I, I like the Lion King the way it is. I don't really want a live action version. That's all. Fair enough. Yeah, I whatever. I mean, Disney's just going to keep on Disneying and just kind of rehashing old stuff because they got this huge catalog of old ideas. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, they should just, I guess, exploit things. And I will continue not going to see this stuff because it is mm-hmm. not for me. <laughs> Maybe at one point they'll do a thing where they'll get to the point where they release the animated movie and the live action movie in the same day. So it's like Inside Out. The animated and live action, all starring um, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Yeah. So would you? So, do you, so is Lion King your favorite Disney like big animated ooh. movie? Um, actually, that's a pretty hard question. Of the old ones, I'd say probably Lion King or Aladdin. Okay. I, I'd say pre like pre Pixar era Lion King or Aladdin for sure. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I don't count the Pixar ones. Like that's just a, yeah. that's like the separate brand, I guess. But like as mm-hmm. far as like the traditional feature films, like they put out once a year. So you'd say that Lion King or Aladdin or your duo? Yeah, yeah pro- almost definitely because those two both came out like when I was five or so. So I was like just prime for that shit. I think. Yeah. Because they're like ninety four, ninety five, hey. Uh, I think 96. Aladdin. Might, I think Aladdin's like ninety two. 
Oh, okay. Well, well, I wouldn't have been old enough then. But so, yeah. anyways, I had a but bunch you, of older you, siblings, yes. and they had these movies, so I would watch them. So yeah, yeah probably Aladdin or Lion King. You're probably Beauty and the Beast, huh? Uh, no, you know what? Actually, uh, I never really was a Disney kid. I mean, I would watch like the uh, live action Winnie the Pooh TV show mm-hmm. what, that was on uh, Family or whatever. And yep. uh, I don't know. I, I felt like I kind of just skipped the whole like Disney cartoon thing. But I will say that I think the one that I would uh, kind of point to is like being like, I really like that was actually Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, that movie rules. Yeah, I like that movie actually quite a bit. Yep. I've actually only watched it like a couple times, but I always like think like that movie is like really neat. It's got a it's just totally different mm-hmm. than everything else they've ever done in a lot of ways. Yep. And it doesn't get much love. And now that we live in the frozen era, uh, I don't know if it mm. will get that. But one day Well, Jarrett, Mahalo means family. And family means no one gets left behind. So even Lilo and Stitch will get to that point where I bet they make a live action version with the rock as the little girl and I don't know who's a hairy guy. Um, Danny DeVito as stitch. Oh man. That'd be a pretty cool movie. Actually. That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> you know Why, what? Not? Okay. Why not? All right. Disney executives. I know you're listening to this. You call me. Mm-hmm. I got the ideas for the movies. You're all the, right. You're the pitch man. A lot better than those last few Pixar's you had come out that, uh, mm-hmm. didn't do as good as I think they wanted them to. Yeah. So, um, I got a little bit of news I'll throw out there. Okay. I, I just read that. I think this is from yesterday. But uh, this actually kind of ties into the month and our ghoul schooling, but I'll read it now. Okay. School district bans clown costumes and symbols of terror for Halloween. Uh, this what? is from New, New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, oh. A school district is banning clown costumes and any quote-unquote symbols of terror during this year's Halloween season as authorities investigate the authenticity of clown-related social media posts. New Haven public school officials uh. said principals and building leaders have been requested to ban the costumes until additional information is available. This comes amid an investigation involving police into an account on the photo-sharing social media site Instagram. The account uploaded four photos showing menacing-looking clowns with captions telling several area schools to watch out and wait and see whether the threats are fake. New Haven Mm. School Superintendent Garth Harries said Tuesday the posts have been disruptive to learning and to the school's sense of security. Um, There is no question that whoever is promulgating... uh, This is making threats, Harries said. I have never seen the word promulgating I, I, yeah, that, it sounds totally made up. We don't, I don't yeah, we don't believe there's any credible threat of violence, but they are still making people uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, police, police said any threat deemed credible could be prosecuted under a new state law that makes a tangible threat against a school a felony. Uh, Officer David Hartman said the Instagram posts do not meet that threshold. We're not going to shut down, sh- sh- shut schools down for this stuff, he said. Harry said there was a minor incident in middle school, middle school where an administrator confiscated a clown mask from a group of students he said were horsing around uh, great yeah great you might as well you know what just cancel halloween while you're at it things that instill terror <clears throat> like well so you everyone's gonna be walking around dressed up like a chef like a square yeah um oh yeah so then uh one day later i then see the headline 
clown pranks in U.S. causing major disruptions, wasting police resources, um, mm-hmm. carrying golf clubs, shovels, and hockey sticks. Several hundred University of Connecticut students gathered just before midnight in a cemetery, ready to do battle with menacing clowns they had heard might be lurking among the headstones. <laughs> Poli- oh <my> God. <laughs> Police determined that Monday's clown rumors were a hoax, but dozens of similar reports have surfaced across the country, largely on social media, and authorities are being forced to take them seriously as a potential threat to public safety, particularly at schools where principals have conducted lockdowns and canceled classes. Clown incidents have been reported this week at schools around the U.S., including Penn State University, where police said more than 500 students showed up early Tuesday to hunt for clowns. Fuck. (laughs) Uh, The clown situations waste valuable resources and can lead to injuries to both first responders and members of the public, Connecticut State Police said. The pranks can cause major disruptions, leading to schools, businesses, and neighborhoods being placed into lockdown unnecessarily. Sociologists Mm -hmm. say the panic over clowns, which may seem silly from a distance, is actually a new twist on a phenomena as old as witch hunts. There's a sense that there's some evil force out there that we have to organize together to attack Dustin Kitt, a sociologist and pop culture expert at Temple University. If anything, it's just uh, distracting us from the real ordinary threats that we face in our everyday lives blah 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 are you uh fam- oh yeah there's a mention here of the twilight zone in the episode the monsters mm. are due uh are due on maple street i don't even think that's the title of it um anyway are you yeah. familiar with like phantom clowns Have you, were you familiar with clown yeah, shit from I, like a few years ago or if, yeah went to like god like the 80s i think um, I always think back to there's the um, Dennis Lehan book uh, Darkness Take My Hand and it like had yep. a whole like talking point about like clowns like kidnapping children and they have a van and they, they like uh, you breathe in from their like uh, laughing gas machine and then you'd never wake up again and it's like funny because it's cl- evil clowns and there was like a good blog post about like the history of phantom clowns and like this whole like blow up of like uh, clown hoaxes back in the eighties and stuff like that. Cause it's just like, it's mm-hmm. like the satanic panic stuff. It's just like, it's if, if there's anyone dressed as clowns, it's because they've heard, Oh man, there's creepy clowns. And then more and more people talk about it. And none mm-hmm. of this surprises me now that social media exists and people think clowns are scary. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's people haven't mm-hmm. like, I think they arrested like a 13 year old and a 14 year old boy or something like that. Uh, like the other day for like mischief. Yeah. And it's just like, yep, this is what it is. But, you know, once some uh, Muslim terrorist dresses up as a clown, then people will be like, you see, it was, the threat was always real. But we'll, we'll wait and see until that day comes. In the meantime, people are just being goofs. And this is hilarious to me. Um, yeah, that's yeah. all I got to say about that, unless you have any thoughts. Uh, not really. Uh, I did see Stephen King made a tweet, and he was like, man, like, settle down, guys. Yeah. <laughs> he was basically like, nobody cares that you do it and it's you're not going to get famous or you just like there's no point so nobody cares yeah, yeah i think and i was like saw, i'm with you steve yeah i think i saw steve uh, also uh, uh admonishing the uh toronto blue jays and canada well of, it was it was a fan yes yeah but to be fair american fans are far worse and have done far worse things it's yeah. just this was the most recent one i think it's just disappointment it's just like yeah. come on canada yeah be better well i have to assume though that it's not a real blue jays fan it was just some dude in a blue jay some guy in, in baltimore in a blue jays outfit oh <laughs> I, i'm saying it's an inside job right it's, it's Call, a, someone called oliver stone and get him to investigate it yep that, so, i think that'll be the best use of oliver stone's time yeah <laughs> get on it ollie Get on it, Ollie. So I got some other news for you. Yo. Since we're not creeping here today. Please. Uh, 
did you see the trailer for uh jordan peele from key and peele's horror movie today yes it's called i Get did Out. so if people out there aren't familiar uh jordan peele is the other half of key and peele he's also or they both made that hit action adventure movie keanu starring that cute little kitty cat um so this pre- preview came out today and uh, i think it looks really good but i think the preview shows a lot of stuff and it really makes me sad that previews exist yeah, um, yeah. so I saw that posted on a Facebook page that I'm on, and the one person who posted said, this looks awesome and amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And this particular uh, page is like a – it's another podcast page, and mm-hmm. the one of the hosts of that show said, this looks horrible. What are you talking about? I'm starting, to, I'm starting to question humanity. And I was like, okay, well, I, I'm going to take a look at this myself. And, I mean, I watched the trailer, and – I kind of like just thought it was like kind of like a dark comedy, uh, mm-hmm. pretty well. Yeah, which I think is intentional. Uh, like, yeah, but I like I imagine there's gonna be comedy to it, but I don't know. I thought it looked really. I thought it looked pretty good, and I, I don't know. The only reason I bring it up is because I think pro- people. I probably talked about it before, but I think trailers suck, and oh, I don't think we yeah. should get trailers. I mean, because it does show a lot of stuff mm-hmm. like about the movie. So well, I think that's pretty shitty. So I would say if anyone out there is listening. Uh, don't watch the trailer because maybe it'll be good to just go see it for yourself. That's all. That's the, yeah. That's kind of like the weird thing with um, like all marketing. It seems these days is uh, people really have a hard time. Uh, like or at least marketing companies, they have a hard time figuring out what is the best way to market something. And I guess that mm-hmm. is sort of like that's their job is to figure out what the best way is. And if your movie is a horror comedy, whether or not you should push it as a comedy or push it as a horror film, because yeah. if you promote it and it's not if it's kind of like not true to what the actual essence of the film is, people will walk in and then start getting angry when they feel like they've been misled in every single promotional effort that the film they've uh-huh. seen is been put under um because like i remember like i think it was the uh writer like uh adam wingard's writer who was talking about that with uh you're next and just talking mm-hmm. about how all the ads for it were like presenting it as this like h- hardcore horror film and then it turns out it's like well actually it's like more of like a it's pretty like comedic and but they're like well we don't sell it that way because movies that are like horror comedies really don't do well so it's better yeah. to i guess trick people <laughs> i i I don't okay. Know. So yeah, I, I get you. But it, but it depends too, because I mean, like I think the same time, like uh, the same writer, he was talking about with that uh, the the new Blair Witch movie, how uh, they were kind of promoting it as like initially the woods, and they were keeping mm-hmm. it secret that it was a Blair Witch uh, sequel. And, yeah. And of course, it was like, well, why, are we going to keep it as the woods and then surprise people that it's a Blair Witch tie-in when they get to the theater? Because there was that movie, The Forest, that came out that didn't do very well either. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't seem to really matter because no one went to the Blair Witch uh, three anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think word of mouth kind of hurt it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we never really brought that show, uh, that movie, up on the show at all. But uh, well, I kind of like, I got turned off pretty quick by like all the negative responses and people's like, mm-hmm. not liking that movie at all. I mean. I do like Adam Wingard though, so uh, yeah. I'll probably watch it when it comes out on video. And I find yeah. that uh, a lot of the time, found footage stuff plays way better on your own television rather than in a theater. 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's that one movie, um, as above, so below. And I watched that at home and I thought that movie was really good. I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I remember like at the time people just like wrote it off and said it was just the worst piece of shit found footage thing. And yeah. I'm like, but it seems like now that I've gone back and read what people were complaining about, it's like, well, these are all people who saw it in theater and I could imagine watching that in theater and it would be tough. Like, cause it's super shaky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm not a person sensitive to that stuff. It's never really bothered me, but, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, does bother me. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I agree with you. I I think what it was for me was uh, the second trailer that came out. uh, That totally lost my interest in it because I was like, "All right, so just a it's a carbon copy, but with CGI and more action." Like, I was like, "Eh, I think they kind of missed the point." So, and it's after it came out, it sounds like that's what people thought, anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, I got one other thing for you. Yes. Uh, cause you know, sometimes I play the video games and things I've like that. Heard. Uh, they announced today that there's going to be a gears of war movie, which, oh. uh, I think it's pretty cool because I think that game is really cool. I, uh, logged some heavy hours of that back in my undergrad days. Uh, but I have to say, I don't think, uh, any movie will be as good as the trailer, like the previews. I, I just as I, I talk about how I hate previews and trailers, the uh, the previews for uh, those first three games are fucking amazing pieces of art, and uh, nothing will ever top that. Like art. you, you laugh, but if uh, go, just go go look Gears of War uh, one and two trailer, and you'll get the Gears of War two trailer with the uh, the band Davochka, which is described as gypsy uh rock or no opera gypsy music that's what it's described as and just watch it it's like a three minute trailer and it'll fucking blow your mind so that's the best gears of war movie there there will ever be so there doesn't need to be a real one but i will go see this because i like the franchise okay yeah i've uh i never played gears of war at all um i just because it was on xbox right Sure was. Okay. So, yeah, I, I was not an Xboxer. I was always a uh, PlayStation boy. And Nerd. So, yeah. So that was outside of my uh, – I, I knew what it was, and I knew people liked it. And uh, at the comic book store, I remember the, the kids loved their Gears of War toys when they could get them. And I remember they were mm-hmm. big, muscly men. Um, oh, yeah. I, I kind of remember that the era that the, that game came out, there was, like, tons of first-person shooters. And I know they all kind of blurred for me because it all seemed like they were yeah. always fighting aliens. <laughs> do they, do, are they fighting aliens in Gears of War? Uh, yeah, kind okay. of. Like, but so I think the thing, um, like in the slew of all those games, that was like one of the ones that set itself apart. Like, okay, because yeah, there was like Resistance, I think, and other yeah, I th- stuff. I, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah. I think Gears of War is the only one that came out of that as like an actual, like the story, the game, uh, like the mechanics of gameplay and stuff like that. I think that all really sh- came out and I don't know. I'm kind of biased cause I like those games, but I think, I think that franchise did is probably the top of, or the cream of the crop out of all that stuff. So I don't know. It had a toy line. Like you said, did that other game resistance have a toy line? Uh, it might've, <laughs> I was just saying it, it wasn't as popular though. Yeah. So anyways, you, you go watch the trailer for years of war two later, the Devochka trailer. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Okay. And it'll blow your mind. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I also really enjoyed the video game uh, trilogy or like the, the video games of uh, the the Salo games. I really enjoyed those. Oh. Yeah. The Salo games. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, before With Master uh, Chief. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, did you see we got um, a review on iTunes? Uh no. 
So I'm going to uh, read this review for you right now. Go Does on. Does that sound okay? Yeah, it sounds good. I was going to wait till after the show, but maybe I'll just bring it up now. Bring it up. So this this review is called Keep On Creeping On. It's a five-star review by uh, Timunk, and it says, Witty, quality discussion, Jarrett and TJ's conversations are entertaining and interesting. Makes me want to rewatch a number of those movies. Oh, well, TJ. Well, no, hey, TJ does a great job. Hey, I I have to assume it's just karmic retribution for me uh, playing with my chapstick last episode while you were talking. So maybe I had it coming. <laughs> TJ. TJ. But anyways, anyways, it's a five five star review. Yeah, so that's thank, pretty cool. Thank you, sir or madam. For right. liking our show, it is helping. I guess <clears throat> I don't know. I don't say it helps. It, I don't know. I think so. Yeah, I think it just helps uh, you creep up the uh, iTunes rankings when people search for certain terms like movies ah. or Criterion. We got to fight our way up that. Yeah, we got to. Got to fight our ways into the hearts and minds of listeners in podcast land, wherever the they heart are. Of, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Cool. Well, that's all. That's news, I guess. Well, yep. we're keeping it short and sweet this time because I have a feeling we're going to be talking a little while about the movie Under the Scope this week because mm. we're going to be talking about that beloved holiday family classic, Salo, or 120 <sighs> Days of Sodom, directed by Pierre Paolo Pasolini from 1975, After the Break. Let the begin! Here, give me that whip. Take this, you dog. Just like you, I'm a disciple of Satan with work to do. I'll ride you to your death and squeeze blood from your breast. And work you like a sex slave, you get no rest. I can see it in your eyes, the devil's deep inside. You're a masochistic freak in disguise. Your love is your pain, and pain is your gain. You'll force the fit just to feel the strain. You worship the bed. With your life, holding sessions of confession every moonlit night. You do it so good, tasting every ounce until the last drop, leaving nothing out. Control the hose. My sexual fantasies must be fulfilled. All my tensions will increase, and then I will ill. So I pulled a little girly. This is what I did. Jump in the ride. Look into the
Sai quali sono le regole? Vi prego, signore, con tutte queste porcherie che ci hanno fatto mangiare in questi giorni. Come ti chiami? Si chiama Doris, presidente. È sempre stata una delle più indisciplinate. appartiene ad un fanciullo piuttosto che ad una fanciulla potrebbe influenzare la nostra decisione e invece dobbiamo essere completamente liberi di scegliere giusto è una trappola astuta nella quale non vorrei cadere fascisti siamo i soli veri anarchici naturalmente una volta che ci siamo impadroniti dello stato infatti la sola vera anarchia è quella del potere scusi se mi permetto un suggerimento ma lei non pensa signora Maggi che sarebbe opportuno prima di iniziare le sue narrazioni che lei ci mostrasse la sua parte migliore certo e col più grande piacere le creature incatenate destinate al nostro piacere spero non vi siate illusi di trovare qui la ridicola libertà concessa dal mondo esterno per tutto quanto riguarda il mondo voi siete già morti tutto è pronto tutti i macchinari vengono azionati e le torture incominciano And we're back, and we're talking what I'm sure will be RJ's all-time favorite new film, Salo, or 120 Days of Sodom, directed by Pierre Paolo Pasolini from 1975. Um, I thought I'd begin by reading just the back of the uh, uh, Blu-ray box. Um, The notorious final film from Pierre Paolo Pasolini, Salo, or The 120 Days of Sodom, has been called nauseating, shocking, depraved, pornographic. It's also a masterpiece. The controversial poet, novelist, and filmmaker's transposition of the Marquis de Sade's 18th century opus of torture and degradation to fascist Italy in 1944 remains one of the most passionately debated films of all time, a thought-provoking inquiry into the political, social, and sexual dynamics that define the world we live in. So... I'll begin just with my own history with Salo. 
Um, when I first started buying Criterions uh, back in the early 2000s, this was basically the holy grail of the Criterion collection. Uh, the reasons why was because uh, at that point it was long out of print. Um, getting a copy of this on DVD at the time, it was probably cost you about five or six hundred dollars us jesus yeah because no it was like it was uh it had been only it, was, it came out in 98 so within like a short period of time you couldn't get it anymore um mm-hmm. so uh at that point there was like your your chances of getting it were is going to be a bootleg if you were going to get one so like there was like whole web pages about like this is what a salo bootleg looks like it's got a white label and all this stuff like that um and second of all, why this film was so sought after is its reputation as being like the most filthy movie of like all the Criterion Collection and like mm-hmm. all of cinema history only added to the interest that this movie had, I think, for people. Um, so come October 2011, it was finally re-released at, on DVD and Blu-ray, uh, which is the, what uh, I have a copy of and what RJ borrowed. Um, at this mm-hmm. point, though, I had downloaded a copy. Um, because it was the only way I was going to ever see it. And I had never actually sat down and watched it in, in like a sitting. I'd only ever like perused it, skimming through it just to be like, why is, what's all this crazy dark shit that I've heard so much about? Um, mm-hmm. and I remember like kind of jumping around through it and I always thought, oh, this kind of looks dull. And then like, there'd be like some like, uh, butts and like weird, like screaming and stuff like that. And people like f- moaning and stuff like that. I was just like, what is this? And so it just kind of like, I had a copy of it set in my like folder on my uh, computer for ages. Um, but none of this stopped me from buying an official copy when it was finally available. And I sure ordered it. And it was March of 2012 when uh, my two uh, fellow ghouls, uh, friends, and I, we mm-hmm. sat down to see what all the hubbub was about. Um, so that's kind of my preamble, I guess, of my experience with Salo. Sure. Um, so, first of all, what's Salo? Um, like, cause I, I didn't actually ever stop and think what, what's, what is Salo? I, I mm. kind of like vaguely remembered, like it's a place, right? So I read a little bit. Um, so Salo, uh, as far as like the context historically wise, it's, uh, the Italian social Republic informally known as the Republic of Salo was a state with limited recognition that was created during the later part of world war II. It was the second and last incarnation of the fascist Italian state and was led by uh, uh, Mussolini and his reformed mm-hmm. Republican fascist party. The state declared Rome as its capital, but was uh, de facto centered in Salo, a small town uh, on Lake Garda near Brescia, where Mussolini and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was headquartered. Um, so let's just find my uh, synopsis that uh, I think is right off of IMDb. <laughs> Four fascist libertines round up nine adolescent boys and girls and subject them to 120 days of physical, mental, and sexual torture. That's yep. I think that says it all right there. Yep. Um. So RJ, I'm just going to let you have at her at this point. Oh, how nice of you. Uh. Well, I may surprise you with my answer here, Jared. Oh. This movie has the rare treat of being the absolute worst movie I've ever seen, (laughs) I think. Uh, I don't know about worse, but this is probably the movie I will never, ever watch again. Like at the bottom of my list. I don't get it. I don't understand how it got made. I don't understand why it got made. Uh, I see no artistic merit to it. I see no 
merit in the filming other than it has some nice looking sets uh and frankly i feel like the people who made this movie should be ashamed (laughs) because i think it's horrible so i don't know man i took a couple notes and uh that was i don't doesn't even seem important anymore it was like (laughs) at the start it's like at the start of the movie i took some notes and i was like all right all right and then uh i'm not even gonna lie to you man last night i was watching this i had Mm -hmm. half an hour left and i turned it off and i was like you know this might be the one i don't finish I have a few movies that I have never finished and a few that I have fast-forwarded at the end just to say I have finished it. Uh, but for the for the show, I powered through and I watched the last half hour today. Yep. But I will admit, I while the last half hour was playing, I was doing other things. I was not paying strict attention to it. So I got through it for the, for the sake of the show. But uh, it was with reluctance. And I, I will also say last night I went to a birthday party for my aunt and went to a Chinese restaurant. And I really just gorged myself like shamefully. My girlfriend looked at me like so upset that she's like in this relationship with someone who would do that at a restaurant. <laughs> and then I came home and I ate so much. I, I was so sick on MSG and I was just like. I was like, how long is this fucking movie? And I was like, two hours. Oh, my God. And I felt I just felt like so sick in my stomach. And I was like tired from MSG. And I was like, I don't want to watch this fucking thing. And, uh, you know, I wish I didn't. (laughs) So there you go, man. That's my glowing review of Salo. Uh, I wish I had never seen it. Okay. Um, How does it stack up with Walkabout for you? Uh, So this is... This is kind of a little bit of a challenge because it's way worse than Walkabout, I think. But uh, Walkabout actually kills a bunch of animals in real life. So I don't know. Like, did they actually hurt some of these kids? Because they're kids, right? Like, they're not over 18, a lot of these people. It doesn't look like it, at least. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine that they're probably, like, at least older than 15 or over 16. Um but I mean, I'd say some of them are like really, or they could just be really young looking. I mean, it's one of those things where like, we're so used to like watching movies with teenagers where the teenagers in the movies are actually like 25 years old 25, and they're like yeah. fully grown, like adults or like in that. So we our, our perspective is kind of skewered. So mm-hmm. I don't know, like I'd say that they're at least probably like, um, because the film was never like, uh, held up for like obscenity law or it was definitely held up for obscenity problems uh, on its release but it uh i don't think it was ever for like no one was concerned about the uh age of the actors in it Um, okay yeah so i I don't think that was like so i mean they were like they were 16 at least i whatever the age would be in italy it wasn't an issue other than for the audience watching the movie yeah yeah okay well regardless like yeah so they're willing participants i'm sure that they didn't i'm sure it was not a fun shoot though Mm-hmm. Well, so like people know my opinion on Walkabout. Like I don't like that movie either, but at least Walkabout has like a story. Like I don't, I honestly, I don't know. Maybe I just, I was so like Chinese food infused. I was just willfully blocking out this movie, but like, I don't get it, man. Like I don't understand what this fucking movie is supposed to be about. Like I don't get it. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I guess, 
I, 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 once again, I find myself in a position where I have to defend like the indefensible in some ways. You don't have to. Well, you no, can dislike I, it no I, I have to though. I mean, that's kind of well, like that's my uh, that's like my place. I have to be a kind of the contrarian or whatever. Um, to, at so least like, like we, we have to have some sort of dialogue. We have to talk about this. So because so, so I mean it's like because I knew like I was like okay so. Like I said, four years ago, I watched this movie. Let me let me go yeah. through my memories of it. Um, I remember watching it at the time, and I thought, oh, that wasn't so bad. That was like, because mm-hmm. at that point, um, I think we'd probably, we'd watched Martyrs. We'd watched a Serbian film. Um, yeah. You name some of the stuff we've watched. Uh, we've watched it. We've, we've got it covered. Like, we were, like, into, like, extreme cinema. Like, as far as, like, narrative goes. Um, uh-huh. and so like Salo was kind of like the last, like one of the last markers on that road and we watched it. And for the most part, it's like, oh, this movie's like, re- like, well, way too well made to like be like written off as just like utter like trash, trash right? Like it's like, it's way too well made. Like the movie's mm-hmm. like really well shot. Um, mm. the, 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 no, it, it really is like those, like those opening shots of like, the like just desolate like Italy and those the kids getting grabbed off the off the bikes basically and taken away those shots like um, the layouts like the opening titles like that white background with the black text over it like I th- I think those are beautiful like those are like some of the nicest titles like and it's just simple things like that the uh, Ennio Morricone score which I don't know if you, did you realize that was a uh, Morricone uh, in the uh, yeah, I did. As soon as the movie started, I was like, "This." I was like, "This is way too nice to be in this movie." <laughs> well, that was, that, I, I'm not even kidding. That's the first note I have. Is this music's too good for this movie? No, 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 no. Oh yeah, no. And, I, and I, it also, I, I, I felt like it was a Woody Allen movie. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, like, well, you, I mean, Cannibal Holocaust. It has the same, the same thing where it's got that beautiful, yeah. soothing music over like those opening uh, credits, and it's like, oh, this is lulling me into like a false sense of security because like that music uh-huh. is also like it's it's playing back to like like music from like the like 1920s or like basically mm-hmm. like uh, music that uh, Pasolini would have uh, listened to when he was a kid, and I was like, I was checking out some of the uh, interviews on the Blu-ray. And yeah, just like all these like benign things. Okay. So my experience with, uh, Salo, the first time I watched it was kind of like, that's not so bad, but I mean, it, to me, it's just like, yeah, this is definitely not a movie for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, okay. The next thing is like, so I haven't gone on my way to rewatch it. I don't know if I was ever really planning on rewatching it until we started doing this podcast, at which point Mm. I realized, oh, we're going to have quite the problem because I'm pretty confident that RJ hasn't watched a lot of stuff like this and I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure he's going to hate it. And I mean, I don't like blame anyone for hating this movie. Um, um, I think that it's actually successful because you should hate it. Um, yeah. Like, I think that is completely uh, the intent of Past mm-hmm. Lady to make something not a smooth film. Um, and like, yeah, like your reaction should be kind of revolted. Like you should be repulsed by the things that you're seeing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I watched watching the movie again. I was kind of like. Uh, watching it for the second time and watching it. And I was kind of like, I was a little bit more bugged by stuff in it. Um, I don't know if it's like, I'm getting older and maybe more sensitive to stuff like that. But there's this like things where I was like, ugh, ugh. Like, cause I think like with my ghoul friends, like we could like laugh off some of the stuff that's happening in it. Cause it's just like, you can almost roll your eyes at how uh, like, 
how ghoulish it's trying to be. Um, Not when you're alone, though. Well, when you're alone, you're kind of like there. To, you're confronted with everything. You're you're kind of experiencing it uh, on this different uh, level. Like if you saw it in a theater, like I couldn't even imagine watching this in the theater. Uh, mm-hmm. You'd be like one, like you'd be with a bunch of strangers, po- probably, and be like a little like also like really off put and like i couldn't imagine that being a ton of fun um so i guess like with the way i want to talk about this is i'll do kind of like a just talk about uh like kind of the important figures involving this movie so starting sure. with pasolini himself because i imagine you probably don't know very much about him at all okay so no. he was born in 1922 and oh uh by the way rj did, were you aware that uh this is the first director uh in our criterion creep that was murdered Oh, you don't say. And uh, he was. Was it related to the well, release of the movie? Well, he was murdered the year this movie came out. Huh. Yeah. Um, would you like oh. me to go into that detail, or would you like me to tell about his biographical information a little bit first? <laughs> uh, you know, I know you're just gonna do whatever you want anyway. So okay. Just do it. Okay. So he was an Italian director, poet, intellectual figure. Um, uh, he was a member, or I guess like he was involved with the Italian Communist Party. Uh, he was openly gay, um, but also uh, he was Catholic minded. Like he did, like he was aware of, he was okay. raised uh, Catholic and whatnot. Um, so I guess the problem with him uh, growing up and living sort of through World War II and like that sort of post. Um, post-World War II Italy was that, so he was a communist, which wasn't popular to be. He was gay, which was just not popular to be at all in that period of time. But uh, as a communist, he also wanted to uh, like kind of infuse Christian ideals into it, which is kind of not, is the antithesis to communism, which is generally mm-hmm. like uh, atheistic uh, in its approach. So he wasn't really popular amongst anybody. Um, right. Because he was, like, a free thinker, I suppose. Um, So, I mean, like, he had problems where, like, you know, people would be able to, like, trump up uh, charges against him for, like, like, uh, corrupting minors. And, like, there would be accusations that he's, like, sleeping with young men and corrupting them and whatnot. And so, I mean, Mm. he was, like, avoiding jail. He was never actually convicted of anything, but it seemed like it was more of, like, a tool to use against him to kind of get him out of the way. So by the 1950, he was living in poverty and squalor with his mother, uh, kind of, like, just, like, in rural Italy. Um, By the mid-50s, so, I mean, at this point, we're talking he's, like, in, he's, like, 30 or so, he started getting a career together, I guess, uh, working in the literary section for Italian state radio, but then he wrote a book uh, with the English title of Hustlers, that was very poorly received by the establishment um, and obscenity lawsuits followed him. Um, yeah. uh, so, I mean, at, at some point, I mean, this is like me going off of Wikipedia. I'm no, I'm no uh, Pasolini scholar. Uh, he started getting involved with film. He started actually being involved with script writing and uh, writing dialogue on uh, Fellini films. He wrote uh, some dialogue for Knights of Cabiria as well as uh, dialogue in La Dolce Vita. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so come the 60s he actually starts making his own films uh let's just see here uh i'm not really comfortable enough to really start discussing the politics of italy through the 60s but i think you could imagine that no matter what was happening pasolini found himself at odds with the times uh during all his life pasolini was frequently entangled in lawsuits filed against him up to 33 variously charged with public disgrace foul language obscenity pornography contempt of religion contempt of the state etc for which he was always eventually acquitted 
Um, during the 1968 protests in Rome, which was like basically the year of protests all over like the Western world, Pasolini was actually on the side of the police who were fighting against the guerrilla-like uprising of uh, university students. He didn't see the police as evil, but he saw the actual police officers making up the rank and file as like proletariat in that communist mindset. Uh, and that should be something that the police should, or the communists should be in favor of. That like the true like power that they're fighting against is from like the, the judiciary and the judges, like the ruling class themselves, rather than the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, so you have to consider Pasolini as a transgressive figure, his mindset, not so far off from the Marquis de Sade, who I will talk about. Um, so, I mean, he's a guy who was, uh, always challenging the system, uh, as it existed. And I mean, as this like, kind of like communist gay man living in this sort of like, like brutish like society or whatever. I mean, he was making these yeah. movies like, I mean, like, Salo was sort of like, a complete turnaround of everything he was making up to that point. Um, okay. Like he's he, one of his like probably uh, there's actually a future uh, Criterion creep way down the road. Uh, he has this trilogy of life, which are uh, oh god, uh, they're they're three. They're not like this at all. There's three okay. of them. They're they're adaptations of like the of Arabian Nights. Um, yeah, uh, Canterbury Tales and the Decamerian, and I've watched them. Um, and like yeah, there's like I mean there's definitely like he's he's got a very different approach to like the sort of films that he makes and uh but they're like salo he intentionally set out to make what salo was and that's because he chose the marquis de sade's like most like infamous book that he ever made which was the 120 days of sodom um and then like also i mean so he selects that particular work um and he also kind of brings into this uh, like the Dante's Divine Comedy aspect, like the Inferno, the circles that he talks about, or in the film, yeah. those are in reference to like the like the the levels of hell, and each level gets progressively worse. And I mean, Dante was an Italian poet, like from the 1300s, who was like writing in like those works were like, engaging in a criticism of like ruling classes. Uh, and so I mean, like once again, you have this like thing where you have like uh, Dante, you have. Uh, Pasolini and you have Marquis de Sade kind of like both working in these like different ways um, kind of challenging like the ruling class structure so that's kind of the framework I guess Pasolini was working in so I'm going to talk about his murder because that's like the real trash the real trashy shit so uh, uh, a squad car stopped a speeding Alfa Romeo near Rome. The driver, Giuseppe Pino Pelosi, a 17-year-old hustler, tried to run but was arrested for theft of the car, which was Pasolini's. Two hours later, the director's body was discovered. Pasolini was murdered by being run over several times with his own car, dying on uh, November 2nd, 1975, on the beach of Ostia. Multiple bones had been broken and his testicles crushed by what appeared to be a metal bar. His body had been partially burned... The autopsy report revealed by gasoline after the point of death. It has long been considered to have been a mafia-style revenge killing, extremely unlikely for one person to have carried out. Um, uh, Pelosi, uh, who was the one arrested with the stolen car, confessed. Pasolini had picked him up, and they ate a meal at a restaurant the director knew, um, where he was known. Pino ate spaghetti with oil and garlic. Pasolini drank a beer. At 11.30 p.m., they drove towards Ostia, where Pasolini asked something I did not want to sodomize the boy with a wooden stick. Pelosi refused. Pasolini struck. 
Pelosi ran, picked up two pieces of table, seized the stick, and battered Pasolini to death. As he escaped in the car, he ran over what he thought was a bump in the road. I killed Pasolini, he told his cellmate and the police. Pelosi was convicted in 1976 with unknown others. 29 years later, on May 2005, uh, Pelosi retracted his confession, which she said had been made under the threat of violence to his family. He claimed that three people with a southern accent had committed the murder, insulting Pasolini as a dirty communist. Uh, other evidence mm. uncovered in 2005 pointed to Pasolini having been murdered by an extortionist. Testimony by Pasolini's friend Sergio Citi uh, indicated that some of the rolls of film from Salo had been stolen and that Pasolini had been going to meet with the thieves after a visit to Stockholm in 1975. Despite the Roman police's reopening of the murder case following uh, Pelosi's statement of 2000, May 2005, the judge's charge with investigating it determined the new elements uh, insufficient for them to con- continue the inquiry. So, yeah, our first murder victim uh, on the podcast. Um, well, um, you know, Jarrett, maybe he had it coming. Maybe. Uh, I, <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Marquis de Sade. He's sure. a, he, uh, he's kind of like, uh, I realized you didn't had no idea who he was, uh, I guess. Nope. Uh, nope. I still, still don't, don't think I know who that guy is. Okay. Yeah. So, born 1740 and died in 1814, uh, uh, the Marquis de Sade was a French aristocrat, revolutionary politician, philosopher, and writer, famous for uh, espousing the libertine philosophy known for his erotic works, which were pornographic, depicting sexual fantasies with an emphasis on violence, criminality, and blasphemy against the Catholic Church. His name is from, uh, his name is actually from which sadism and sadists derive. Um, 32 years of his life were spent in institutions from various prisons to an insane asylum. So yeah, no, he is like where the word sadism comes from. (laughs) So he's the root of that. Um, great. Are are you familiar with like, like what libertines are? Like it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, from reading about his exploits, it's, it's hard to come away with thinking that Desaad was anything but a real degenerate who is with his wealth was able to get away with all sorts of sick fuckery. Um, mm-hmm. one particular story, a widow beggar approached him for alms and he hired her as a housekeeper. Once they got back to his place though, she gets the Desaad treatment, including whippings, incisions, hot wax, and general beatings. Cause this is of course after he tied her down, she escaped. Great. There was some non-lethal poisoning of prostitutes and sodomy with his uh, manservant Latour. Uh, they were sentenced in absentia and they were on the run. They, you know, went down to Italy while uh, evading, you know, French police. Um, a lot of this is, of course, alleged and after the fact kind of information, as far as I could tell. I mean, who knows, like what was real or not? Um, sure. But I like to think that it's probably not too off from what actually happened. Um, for his time, he was basically like an early communist in his thinking, like, cause I mean, he was, he came up in the French revolution or like during that period of time, but I mean, he was also an aristocrat. So, I mean, like mm-hmm. he wouldn't be very popular in that group. Um, other than the fact that he espoused these views or shared certain things. Um, he was completely opposed to the right uh, to property. Um, and it was like the crown, the bourgeoisie, the aristocracy and the clergy together who were against the poor. Um, which I mean, if you look at 120 days of Sodom, you're four villains i guess there are those mm-hmm. figures um so i mean he's kind of become a important figure in a lot of like 20th century academic writing um i mean people view his like his notions of what freedom were and like his like 
nihilism, his existentialism, like which people like can mm-hmm. say, wow, he's really ahead of his time. <laughs> but I mean, you can if you do that, like you're kind of all. Yeah. I mean, but you I mean you could also count like Ian Brady, uh, one of the duo who were behind the Moors murders. Apparently, he was a big fan of Marquis de Sade stuff. Of course he um, was. Of course he was. And I mean, probably the most recent and ex- uh, accessible place, probably if you one was interested in learning more about the Marquis de Sade, I guess, would be to watch the film Quill starring Jeffrey Rush from 2000. Um, mm. But that film is like kind of like this sort of like weird thing that I've noticed like in uh, it kind of cultural Marxism or like kind of your left wing um, uh, academic writing is that they kind of like have whitewashed like the darkness of de Sade. And like kind of mm-hmm. say, well, no, he was like a literary freedom fighter who was a martyr to the cause of free expression. <laughs> um, Great. So Great. Yeah, yeah. So about the 120 Days of Sodom book itself. Um, so it was written in 1785. Um, and it's actually the film itself is a fairly faithful recreation in, uh-huh. in itself. Uh, though, I mean, the scale of the book is obviously like larger in some ways, like there's 46 victims. Um, and there's like far more like to like the murder section, that last half hour you were in and out of the room for, um, Pasolini actually shows a lot of restraint in not depicting everything described in like, uh, the Desaad book. It's like, if you want to know, you can check Wikipedia and read that entry. It's pretty like monstrous stuff. Um, the, so the book still in print. Okay, so I'll get about its printing history. So the book, like, it was, it never was published, right? So, because he wrote, okay. the, he wrote this in prison. He wrote this in the Bastille, because um, <laughs> at this point, like, he was already tossed into jail for like all his like uh, crimes, yeah. crimes against people, and like uh, people just like finding like being a blasphemer and stuff like that, which like was a much bigger deal like in the mm-hmm. 1700s than it is now. Um, but it's probably good they got him anyways. <laughs> well, fuck. I mean, like, yeah, there's seriously like, this thing where it's like he's like kidnapping women or hiring women and just like yeah. torturing them. It's like, well, they, they signed up. They had a choice. It's like, yeah, they were also poor people that like mm. you're the rich guy paying them and they're going to go along with whatever you can do. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's fine, I guess. But like, uh, what? <laughs> I think signing up for stuff has a different <clears throat> meaning uh, uh, from now and uh, 350 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so, so the book went unpublished until the early 20th century um and this book continues to be still banned by governments to the to this day um uh-huh. so he wrote this book uh in 37 days while while imprisoned he wrote it out on tiny bits of paper uh that he glued together creating a 39 foot roll and he wrote it very tinily um mm-hmm. when the bastille was stormed in 1789 four years later he thought it was lost but i guess uh, he had done a good enough job hiding it uh behind walls in his cell um because then it was, I'm not sure exactly what the history of it is, but it was uncovered and mm-hmm. it kind of just lingered um, until it was actually published by a Berlin psychiatrist in 1904. So the first time this actually became like readable to people was like almost like, you know, 150 years after the fact. Right. Um, or God. What was the reception of hundred years? Book? Well, <laughs> It's, 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 it's utter filth, right? Like that's like kind of the whole thing. I mean, it's this like degenerate dudes, like masturbatory material. I mean, he he wrote this stuff out and like, just like depicting like the darkest side of humanity. Like, cause like the whole idea, like during like the French revolution, there was like this idea of like, uh, I think it's Rousseau, like this idea of like the goodness, the, the intrinsic goodness of humans and people. Yeah. And so this is like him saying, no, 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 no. This is like the this is like the worst yeah. of humanity, and I'm going to write like this, uh, 
book to that. And it's going to be like right. everything I could possibly imagine, the darkest, yeah. filthiest thing that like runs contrary to every humanist idea yeah. you have. And that's like what this well, book kind of represents. Yeah. Um, so I get that because yeah. I share a lot of the same sentiments, but at the same time, just because I, I also think some of those things doesn't mean I enjoy Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, so, anyway, sorry, so, continue. Uh, so, uh, old Marquis de Sade, he himself described his work as the most impure tale that has ever been told since our world began. <laughs> mm, well, I don't know, man. Has he read any of those, uh, Harry Potter books? Cause some people have a real problem with those. Mm. Not me. I like those, but yeah, some no, people do. Yeah. No, I mean, there's people have problems with Halloween costumes too. And like, sure. yeah, decorations are, yeah, I, I can't even imagine. I, I mean, this is the thing though. Um, like, I guess I was kind of surprised that you had no idea who Marquis de Sade was. Cause like made me sort of think like, well, you're not like, th- like this ignorant person. And I'm like, well, I wonder how many people out there have no idea who this figure is or was like, they don't, they have no concept of it. It's not like it's being taught in school. Um, I, actually, one of the things I read was like described as like de Sade's like one of the most famous and like least read writers that exist like like people like his the reputation of the stuff precedes itself i mean people know what a sadist is they know what sadism is but they don't know that that's actually that was a guy (laughs) like and there's like a reason why that comes from that and is defined the way that it is yeah um but yeah no i mean like there's been like countless occasions where like this work has been like attempted to be destroyed napoleon bonaparte like he was like the last guy that had uh whoever because you uh uh, decide also wrote uh justine another one of his works and i mean napoleon had him arrested and he was thrown in jail and that's where he spent the rest of his days locked up good Um, for him napoleon dynamite right (laughs) yeah napoleon dynamite himself uh, yeah with his time machine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah so (laughs) What, what what more can I ramble on here about? Do you have any Do you have any thoughts? Not really. Like I, I I'll say that I I was a little bit um, over enthusiastic in my intro. I just so like the point or what I was saying with you too is like I honestly like I agree with I agree with this guy. You know, people do suck, <laughs> like, and people will do horrible fucking things. Like I mm-hmm. I completely believe that. Like just go look at um just go read your paper. Or look, look, read the or watch the news that day. See how horrible people can be. But it's it goes to the point though where it's like I said, just because I do share some of the beliefs doesn't mean that I. It seems like he encourages it, which I don't know if is he does. Like I mean, you can't ask a mother. Dude's been dead for four hundred fucking years. But like I don't know. Just because I think it, I don't, I don't want to bask in it. Also, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. And so, okay, this is so where that's why I don't like it. Okay, so this is where I come. This is where I guess I'm. I find the film worth discussing, and why I think it is art, or whatever you want to call it. Um, sure. Even if you don't like it, I guess. Um, yeah. So, because I mean, so Pasolini made this film, and I mean, he he like depicts all these acts that I'm pretty sure that DeSad probably was like masturbating about when he was thinking yeah. about this stuff. I don't think Pasolini was. Um, he, he presents all this as cold and calculated as possible. Um, he presents the degradation and the awfulness as clinically as possible. Like, it's just like matter of fact, like those, like the way he shoots things from a distance, mm-hmm. like there's like, like everything's like from afar and, um, like there's no, like, I don't think you're supposed to enjoy it at all, but he's depicting yeah. it like, honestly and like kind of like and just like this is what it is um because i mean mm-hmm. like yeah like the sets the the clothing that like people are wearing like the 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 yeah um 
basically the, the horrors that Trousers. are telling their stories. Like they're like yeah. those like those gowns and outfits they're wearing. Those things are amazing. Like they're just mm-hmm. like uh, incredibly designed. And it's like so like a lot of thought went into this. It wasn't like just this kind of like tossed off like piece of like. Uh, exploitation trash like it's it, I think it inspired a lot of exploitation trash after the fact probably, probably. Um, well actually I, one of the things uh, one of the reasons why uh, uh, Pasolini went this direction was because his uh, trilogy of life movies like those like were kind of like these more pastoral films that had like kind of like genuine depictions of sex uh, in them and basically what happened in Italy was that that was like a sign to like uh, the Italian like film industries like hey we should make movies like those Pasolini movies but we'll like make them like sexier and they just start mm-hmm. turning into porn and he was just getting pissed because it's like they're kind of like usurping what he was doing with these stories and making turning something turning them into a product rather than like art I guess because um, I doubt he was like really engaged with like the film like the, the money side of the film industry um, yeah. like so so I mean, he made Salo, which is like kind of like the most unconsumable thing you could imagine. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think there was like some bit I read too, where like his like one of those things that sometimes uh, artists will say, kind of like uh, the coprophagia scenes in Salo as a comment on the processed food industry or something like that. Oh, <laughs> and like fuck so, off. like something like that. Like someone will like come up with that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's exactly where he was thinking, but people like yeah. saying things like that, don't they? Um, People sure do. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. I will, uh, if you, if you, again, uh, one thing I thought I would read was there's a really good essay. Um, there's like a big book that comes with this Blu-ray. And it's actually the first essay that was written for the 1998 release by, um, I think it's John Powers. And he wrote it. And I think I'll read it in its entirety because I think it's like really good. And I think it's like the best thing I've read about Salo. Um, and I'm just going to read it. So you gotta okay. listen. On November Are you okay? Okay. so on November second, nineteen seventy five, the Italian director Pier Paolo Pasolini was found mur- found dead, murdered, police said, by a young male prostitute. However, lurid its details, the Roman tabloids ran huge front page photos of the disfigured corpse. His death struck many as metaphorically apt, and not only because of Pasolini's known taste for rough trade, he had long had a crush on the idea of flamboyant death. Painter, poet, and novelist, essayist, filmmaker, semiotician, gay icon, renegade Marxist, public controversialist, uh, champion of both outlaw sexuality and of a mythic view of life he termed epic religious, Pasolini was not only Italy's most important post-war intellectual, but also a quintessential 20th century type, self-indulgent and self-despising, never sure whether to blame himself or the world for his inescapable alienation. Never keeping to one style for long, his cinematic career carried him from his gritty early 60s films about pimps and thieves in the Borgate, the impoverished shantytown wasteland that circled Rome, to his popular 70s trilogy of life. Um, which seemed the work of a body life-affirming man. The happy perception suggested by the trilogy was changed forever by his final film, Salo, a one-of-a-kind project that takes no little defending and may indeed be indefensible. It's the cruelest, most obscene, and most intellectually toxic work ever made by a major director. Once seen, it is forever remembered. Pasolini began the film during a period of enormous artistic crisis, filled with disappointment in Man and God, as one of his friends described it. He began to think of that... Uh, began to think that all his earlier work was bogus and compromised, merely another length of the feed tube through which consumerist repression is shoved down our throats. His response was to make what he called an indigestible film based on the Marquis de Sade's 120 Days of Sodom, with a smidge of Dante's Inferno thrown in. 
Set in Italy during the waning days of World War II, Salo tells the story of four debauched fascists who retreat to a chateau and begin using innocence to satisfy their basest desires. Beginning with mere violation in the circle of obsessions, sodomy is favored. They move on to the circle of shit, people forced to eat their own feces, before reaching the circle of blood in which skulls are smashed, eyeballs sliced, and victims ritualistically slaughtered. Salo is one of the handful of genuinely disturbing movies ever made. It leaves you shaken, not simply because of what it is depicting, but also because of how. Pasolini presents the most vicious debasement in a highly formalized style that's as coolly dispassionate as a geometric proof. There's no room in this death-eating film for human decency or affirmation. A heterosexual couple is murdered merely for being heterosexual, yet homosexuality is also portrayed as a form of tyranny. A cinematic ground zero, Salo confirms the cruel meaninglessness of everything human. Life is reduced to impersonal fornications, eating and defecating the inescapable power of hawks over sparrows, with no hope of transcendence or redemption. Sparrows can only hope to become hawks. In what is probably the most savage twist, Pasolini implies that watching this movie makes one complicit in its horrific world. Our own voyeurism is inescapably guilty. At the end, we witness the ritual murder of innocents through reverse binoculars, a distancing process that frees us from the sound of their screams and lets us enjoy the moment with proper detachment. There's never been a stronger attack on the deathly voyeurism lurking in the experience of art, Pasolini's and our own. With such a bleak work for his artistic testament, it's small wonder that many people saw Pasolini's own murder as Salo's real-life climax. Nor was it surprising that such a film would divide critics and audiences. It was assailed by, among countless others, worldly men such as novelist Italio Calvino, who saw it in evidence of the filmmaker's personal corruption, and Richard Roud, the late director of the New York Film Festival, who wrote, It is a terminal film in every sense of the word. Yet, if Salo is not a simple or likable movie, it does have a terrible kind of grandeur, and this grandeur is inseparable from its assault on all our most cherished moral beliefs. In an interview with French television before its premiere, Pasolini explained the aesthetic principle behind the film. I believe to give scandal is a duty, to be scandalized a pleasure, and to refuse to be scandalized is moralism. At a time when movies are routinely shocking and controversial, Salo not only lives up to these words, but makes them feel childlessly inadequate. Ta-da! Great. I have two two comments. Yes. Uh, what did what did he say? Something ground zero. Yeah. Okay. So, that's interesting. I can't remember what I wanted to say about that now. Doesn't matter. Uh, I was gonna say uh, that whole talk about voyeurism. Uh, maybe the peeper creeper lady uh hasn't seen this movie. Maybe someone should send her a copy, <laughs> and that'll really ramp her up. Uh, then you'd get busted for some sort of hate crime or something. Oh, well, yeah, but I won't label it. And I'll, I'll sprinkle it with flowers so they can't find my fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, uh, <laughs> what were your notes on this film? You mentioned you had some notes, but I'm just curious uh, what you had. Just <laughs> so I, I did take notes, but as I said, I think about half an hour in, I abandoned that. My first note was on the music, like I said, with Woody Allen. And then my second note was how old are the dinks that we're seeing here? Because I had a question about the age of the right. actors. Uh, and then I wrote, there was a line, someone said orgy room for story time, yep. which I thought was funny until I saw it. Mm. Uh, then one of the guys asked the lead whore a question and she dances instead of before she answers. Yes. So I was going to ask you if you have ever, an if you've ever answered a question by dance with dance, uh, I can't recall. Okay. Uh, and then I have one note. It just says guy goes around room kissing everyone. Mm -hmm. So I guess that happened at one point. Yep. 
And then uh, a quote here that says, nothing's more contagious than evil. And that's where I stopped taking notes. Yep. Yep. I think that is sort of the, that's the jumping off point. And then it just sort of turns into what it is. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I stopped um, before all the poop stuff, but um, (laughs) yeah, I think it was, I think I I gave it an honest shot for like 20 minutes and then I was just like, nah, (laughs) nope. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll watch it and I'll. I'll talk about it like that, but I don't need to uh, put anything else down into detail here. So very well. Um, I think I think one of the things that like I still like uh, like one of the things I really remembered was I can't remember which member of the four uh, bastard people uh, yeah. it is, but the one that's like offers up his ass to be sodomized uh, at dinner. It's the googly eyed guy. Googly eyed guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He like in his like face of just like oh boy, it's my turn. Um, yeah. like there was like moments like where they participate and then it's like, Oh, I'm going to get down on this. I'm going to get on this deflowering business. And then like mm-hmm. the other guy's like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of this guy. And it's like, Oh, they're all yeah. like, they're all game. Um, and just like the scenes, yep. it's just like the, uh, like the whole idea that like, Oh, we have to like unite and we have to like make sure that we hold true to what we're doing here. So we're going to marry one another's daughters off and, uh, we're going to, they're yeah. going to get to participate in all the, this fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, uh, Yep. <laughs> yep. That's yep. all I got to say yep. is yep. Okay. So uh, I, I thought I would throw out who loves this film. <laughs> I was actually going to suggest this to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So uh, director Michael Haneke named the film his fourth favorite film or, or, or top fourth film or whatever for the 2002 uh, yeah. Sight and Sound poll. Uh, there's a, a Catherine uh, Brillant who she's directed some Criterions we'll get to. Uh, one film in particular, mm. Fat Girl, you're, you're just going to love too. Oh, God. Um, she, she actually wrote an essay for uh, this release. Um, she's a, I mean, I mean, there's, no one's a fan of this movie, I don't think. Okay, I'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, comedian David Cross. Uh, oh no, not Tobias. Tobias loves it. Uh, yeah. Rainer, Werner, Fassbinder—they're uh, all big fans. And uh, John Waters, who I've always like, I'm I'm mm. I'm expecting soon that uh, John Waters will have a addition to the Criterion Collection, and that'll be yeah. great because that means you'll get to watch a John Waters movie finally. Because like basically, if you don't like Salo, you are definitely going to not like Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of like that's next on the that's like the RJ like greats list because that movie not only is utterly debased, um, but it also uh, has some good old fashioned animal cruelty. So it has both. But he says about Salo, Salo is a beautiful film. It uses obscenity in an intelligent way, and it's about the pornography of power. Um, there you have it. Okay. So who hates Salo? Uh, I wrote oh. uh, lots of people probably. Okay, uh, wait. I, I, can I interrupt you oh, for yeah, a yeah, second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go, you go. Caught, I for uh, I blanked for a second. So I also looked at um, the people who love this movie. Yes. I looked at the top five or six comments there, okay. and basically what I gathered from all of it were uh, four out of the six. They said. I don't know why this is my favorite movie or I I can't bring myself to tell people that this is one of my favorite movies. And then most of them just talk about how it's the technical merits of it or the satire of it or something like that. Mm. And I kind of just I kind of mm. feel like all that is just bullshit. OK. And it's just these people <laughs> just really, really dig this stuff, but they're too ashamed to or they just don't want to publicly say that. OK. Well, yeah. So when I was looking at like, OK, so first I'll start uh, TV Guide gave the film a mixed review. 
Uh, they give it a two and a, two and a half out of four. Despite okay. moments of undeniably brilliant insight, is nearly unwatchable, extremely disturbing, and often literally nauseous. Um, I also saw that uh, Roger Ebert owned a copy of this since it came out on Laserdisc. He ne- he never watched it, citing its uh, just its transgressive reputation put him off watching it. So uh, I guess he got off never having to watch that movie probably. Good for him. Yeah, hopefully he didn't like spend like his last couple years, you know, in the state that he was in. And he's like, oh, I guess I should get Salo out of the way. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, he okay. he did love uh, happiness though. So hey, happy. Oh, come on. So you, maybe he would have loved Salo. Happiness is like fun. That's a fun movie, RJ. Come on. I, nobody would describe it like that. Oh, the, I I do. I genuinely do. Yeah, but you're you're a genuine monster. Ne- then. RJ, the next time you watch that movie, the humor will start coming through. I'm never going to watch that movie uh, again. I'm going to start a list of movies Jarrett made me watch that I will never watch again. Yeah. I can already put in at least five or six. Well, so. I know, uh, we'll see. There's uh, Happiness, uh, Gummo. Gummo uh, and Salo. Wait, so. is Martyrs? Because I know that's uh, one that you've mm-hmm. never actually given a star rating to. I can't bring myself to do it. But no, I, I don't think I would put that one in there. Okay. That, um, that movie is actually... We'll talk about it on Ghoul School. Ghoul School. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. So I, I don't know, even know really if it is necessary to delve into the, like people's hatred of this movie. Because when I started doing that, I yeah. started looking. And like there's so many people who never even bothered giving this movie a star rating. Like they just gave it no star rating and just said like, fuck this movie. I hate this movie. Which are just like me. I guess are. I mean, to me, those are like sane responses, honestly. Yeah. Like I, I don't think I don't really question why someone would not like this movie like it doesn't surprise me in the least um yeah because i mean okay unlike any film we've watched like people don't just hate this movie because they don't like action movies uh yeah. they, it's not they found it boring they didn't think it was like a waste of their time or like this is aged badly they, mm-hmm. they they're actually angry that this movie exists and that like mm-hmm. they watched it like they're just mad that this thing is like a thing and like it's yeah. just because so controversial like it's so uh contra confrontational um mm-hmm. But I mean, like, I think the funniest thing I read amongst the like the letterbox comments I was reading was that the film lacked character development. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's movie, what they took away. Uh, this movie lacked character development. It's like well, if they had some of that, I would have been okay with the rest of it. If uh, uh, if the googly eyed guy developed a little bit more, I think it would have been better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they should have like given them some backstory. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. So, I mean, the criticism, so the criticism of what this movie is, I mean, I think you can easily explain why it should exist and it does exist. And so it's there, right? Um, it it was made, you can't unmake it. So it's a movie that it's there. And it's not like, I don't think people are accidentally going to ever stumble across this movie unless it pops up on Netflix, which would be hilarious to me. Um, actually, cause there's like the one movie, the beast, uh, it's the one pole French or Polish movie, um, that arrow put out. And it's just like, it's just a porno with a beast monster with a giant cock. And it shoots out like shampoo looking cum. And this thing, this, this thing is on Netflix in Canada right now last i checked and this movie it's it's amazing to me that this thing is there that movie is ridiculous Um, i'm gonna look into this while you're talking um oh you're gonna ignore me i'm trying to convince i'm trying to to convince you okay so it is always going to wind up being a sort of threshold movie for many people like that's what it always was in my mind this is the movie it's like you want to watch hardcore buddy you watch salo um 
I think intellectually, this could be considered someone's best film, but I don't think anyone could feel this is one of their favorite films, as there are just like too many truly great movies that resonate on a far more positive level um, Mm -hmm. that like offer like a visceral emotional response rather than like this film, which I think only offers like an abject distant disgust. So, I mean, like, I just couldn't see anyone being like, oh, yeah, it's like my favorite movie. Like, it just to me, it's like, well, I don't think you understand the question I'm asking, I suppose. Um, I mean, for me, like the the my the shot that I that sticks with me the most that I think is really amazing is the shot of the girl defiantly looking at the girl from across from her at the dinner table as she chomps down on her fork. That's got a big piece of shit on it. And she Mm -hmm. just, she just wolfs it down and she's like giving it a go. I'm going to eat this. And then she just like gags on it. And it's like, I think that says it all about this, about Salo. Like this movie is all, that is what this movie is. It's like, I feel like I'm that girl. And I'm like, Mm. yeah, I'm going to take this in. And it's like still, it's revolting because it it is. I mean, as much as you think you can take it, it's not meant to be consumed. Um, In the context of what Pasolini's goals were, as laid out in that Powers essay, this is exactly the kind of film he wanted to make. It was a rejection of making something that was like uh, uh, imitatable and... Mm -hmm. So he offers up okay. like the darkest, most irredeemable object that no one would want anything to do with beyond like this is the ultimate statement of the horror of humanity, of power. Um, this is what power does to people. This is what happens to peasants and poor people. Um, it is going to be unenjoyable because none of these things should be enjoyed unless its intention is to make something consumable. So, I mean, like when you look at, I mean, when I look at, when I think about like people's like top 200 movie lists and stuff like that, that you see all the time, all those movies kind of offer similar experiences. Yeah. This is, doesn't offer that. This movie doesn't offer like a, a escape. It's not pleasing. Um, I mean, it's not like, uh, something like Eternal Sunshine uh, of the Spotless Mind. Oh. See, see that movie to me, it's like one of those movies. Like I really like that movie for like so many reasons, and it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't like it's like it's such a well crafted great movie. But it's like I couldn't think of a movie that's more the opposite of Salo. <laughs> like it's just like sort it's, it's on yeah. such a different level. Um, but I mean, I don't love Salo. I think Sa- like Salo is like one of those movies that like I think I give it like three stars. And to me, that's mm-hmm. like one of those things where I'm like, well. Um, I admire that it exists. It, uh, I mean, I've rewatched it at this point. And I mean, if someone asked me, Hey, well, how's this Salem movie go? Like I would talk <laughs> about it. I could explain it and be like, well, this is what you're yeah. getting yourself into. Um, I mean, so I watched the one, there's a, one of the documentaries on the Blu-ray too. Uh, there's this, an interview with Pasolini from like when, during the production of this. And like, so you see footage of Pasolini, like with the camera in that like final scene where like people are like simulating being, tortured and killed in the back but then you just see right. this guy with a camera and he's just filming this and you're like right this is still just a movie that he's making and he's like made all these decisions to like depict these, these horrible debased things that are like irredeemable in real life um mm-hmm. but he's making this movie about it um and i don't know um mm-hmm. he seems like he seemed like a really cool guy <laughs> like he's just like super thoughtful and like just completely i don't know um doing something completely different than what anyone else was doing and i mean no one else is going to make this movie people don't make movies like this they they try to make stuff like this and it's always like i mean something like a serbian film it's just like a it's just like a brian de palma movie where it's like oh it's just like thrills and disgust and it's Mm. like so i mean it's like not even on the same level or page hey jared you know someone else who was doing things that no one else was doing (laughs) who uh 
Hey, it's our first uh it's our first Hitler reference on the show. Well, it was bound to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, he so. too was <laughs> unconventional and uh people had issue with it. I, right. I, I guess I hear. I so I so I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Well, hey, this this movie's like kind of about Mussolini. Then they were buds. Yeah, they well, I think they were like acquaintances. Yeah. Like they they were like like saw each other at a party and be like oh there's Mussolini I gotta go say hi right oh so actually uh, it's maybe fitting to bring up old Hitler so because there's also that so that movie I watched like this year uh, that Son of Saul where like that movie is yeah. not a good time but it's like it's I think well like it's pleasant enough made I guess that you can watch it as a movie and people can be like wow that movie really moved me and like it made me feel a particular way whereas I think Salo just like it's a movie about like it's based on this book that's about like a depiction of like the darkest side of humanity that you're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, the closest thing I could compare it to is, um, there's this one author who's like describes himself as a true crime writer. His name is Peter Sotos. And I mean, I've read his writings and it's like the most disturbing stuff I've ever read. And I've like gone out of my way to read a lot of stuff. He's on a different level. That's kind of like, he's the only one of the few people that it like is around that is like even in the same remote place. If that sounds something appealing to you listeners, you can just look him up because I won't get too much into Peter Sotos, but he's a guy that, uh, yeah, if this is the, if you like really are interested in Salo and actually like the film uh, strongly, uh, Peter Sotos might be offering something you might be into. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So RJ, uh, don't read Peter Soto's books. I think you should make a list of all the stuff that you like stuff like that. So I can just know to avoid it. Right. And don't be pulling any of those tricks like with happiness and gummo. Oh, sure. You'll love these movies. Well, you should. Well, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're, maybe I'm the monster. Yeah. Maybe you were the. Maybe that's, yeah. Well, it's like, well, it's, like the, <laughs> it's like the last line in uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Who are the real cannibals? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say all I know is that uh, I don't want the uh, the professor, the lizard from Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies coming over to my house. Oh. And, and it's so happiness and. Uh, oh, Dylan Baker. Like that. Yeah, so that guy's ruined forever. So. Mm-hmm. All those kids watching Spider-Man, they're like, oh, it's the lizard. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, hey, kids. I yeah. don't know what I'm getting at. Right. So whatever. Um, at the end of the day, uh, RJ, you are completely correct in what you're thinking. And I continue to struggle with, I guess, defending the existence of Salo. So, But guess what? For- Crit- Criterion agrees with me. Criterion's full of shit. <laughs> And Fuck if you're those listening guys. Out, yeah, if you're listening <laughs> out there, you you know it too. Yeah. Well, I think that does her. Uh, yep. After the break, we're going to give us some pitches. RG's got some pitches for all you folks about the next hot idea that's going to take Hollywood by storm. The Rock is a little Hawaiian girl.
Well, that was a fun episode, right, RJ? Yeah, fun. 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 Yep, especially if you like to eat poop. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Guess what the poop's made out of? Real poop? No. It's like chocolate and fruit. Mm, Apparently, I still wouldn't want to eat it. Yeah, no, that, that, that big bowl of shit when they bring it out, that is quite the scene. That, that was something. So it's a bunch of like, uh, what are those? Like, you know, those condensed fruit bars? It's yeah. like one of those just with like peanut butter and then dipped in chocolate. It's like, is that what it I don't is? Know, like Big Turks. Ooh, I like Big Turks. There you go. Maybe maybe we're gonna shoot, yeah. we're gonna get that uh, Salo remake going on with uh, the, with The Rock. Hey, I watched a movie this. Oh yeah, well, not The Rock. If you smell fix- what The Rock is cooking. Oh fuck off. You can follow us on the Twitter at Criterion Creeps. You can email us at CriterionCreeps mm. at gmail.com. Give us your Salo thoughts. Um, you can tell me how I'm so right and RJ's wrong. Yeah, email in why Jared is the real cannibal here, the yep. real monster. Mm-hmm. We're on the Facebook, uh, Tumblr crap, uh, mm-hmm. Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. You can follow our March on October, March on Halloween. Hey, people should post on the Facebook what they're watching this Halloween. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, if they don't feel comfortable uh, emailing us, they can post i mean maybe we could start that ball rolling i don't know how many facebook followers we've got or whatever but eh, i think my mom's following the page so we got at least one yeah hi linda um we're on soundcloud stitcher itunes subscribe rate us uh only if it's positive i guess um that would be good don't Mm -hmm. don't be negative ninnies um yeah do what's right and next week I think it is fair to say that whatever is coming our way next is going to be a breeze in the park compared to Salo. That being said, we've got ourselves another double header. Next week, we are meeting up with director Sam Fuller with his first two entries into the Criterion Collection, Spines 18 and 19. We go with The Naked Kiss from 1964 and Shock Corridor from 1963. We go from the plate of poop to just plain pulpy trash. Oh, I, I, I was looking forward to these. Well, they're pulpy trash. That doesn't mean they're not good. Oh, hey, Jared, I got a naked kiss for you. Hey, oh. All uh, right. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but it'll be shocking. Oh, God. Shocking. Our, our show's dead, man. Shocking. Hey, at least you didn't end this episode going, I hate it. I hate, I hate it. it. Well, I do hate this show. <laughs> I hate it. Oh uh, boy. Not 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 Salo. This podcast. I hate it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fuck this show. Fuck it. Fuck those two assholes. Good night, folks. <laughs>